Uh, just to give you a bit of a, a, an update or a background. From the start of the week, I was feeling a little bit off, but generally okay. And then Wednesday, I started to feel pretty rough. Temperature, cough. And uh, Wednesday afternoon, Elijah and I were out and I put a bit of chewing gum in my mouth and realised I couldn't taste or smell a thing. Now, I was talking to somebody from church and they said that with their wife's cooking, they would actually love that. I'm not going to say who it was George uh, I wouldn't drop anybody in it like that but uh, so by that stage on uh, Wednesday Becky and Elijah were also coughing and not feeling great and we all had a bit of a temperature so first thing the next morning then we went and got tested and our tests all came back then later uh, positive so here we are we're isolating and uh, by this stage it was a little bit too late to ask I'd asked a number of people if they would preach they weren't available and I thought you know what over the last 18 months, we have had to innovate. We've had to do new things that we never thought we would do before. So let's try it here this week. It's not the ideal. It's not perfect. But who knows? The Lord will use it. God's word is God's word. And if your heart is open and if your heart is responsive to receive, he is going to speak to you today. Even in preparing this message today, reading over it, I have preached myself happy. I have preached myself a little bit healthier. I am dosed up on ibuprofen and caffeine just to get through this. I've got the sweats, but God willing, we are going to get through it. And uh, if you would pray for me now, that would be wonderful. And uh, please lean in. Don't use this as an opportunity to kind of sit back and go, well, Craig's not there. I don't have to engage. Lean in. Maybe some of you could even get a little bit more enthusiastic than you do when I am there. Maybe there'll be an amen. Maybe there'll be somebody who'll say yes. Maybe there will be somebody there today who will encounter Jesus for the first time. Wouldn't that be incredible? Let's pray together. Would you pray with me as we come to God's word? We're going to be continuing our series on Jacob in uh, chapter 27 of Genesis and then moving into chapter 28. But would you pray for me as I pray for you? Father God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill this place right now. Would you fill me? Lord, I pray that you would anoint me right now. I need your help to preach your word with clarity, with conviction, with compassion. And Lord, with the ability through this medium, through this technology that you have blessed us with, to be able to reach your people with the word that you have put on my heart for today. So Holy Spirit, would you speak through me and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. It was actually my birthday on Monday past. I was uh, 46. Now I can hear the shock, the awe and the gasps around the building right now most of you thought I was younger and if I was there there'd always be somebody going I thought you were older but uh, no it was my birthday I was 46 and the next day it was my wife's birthday and obviously it wouldn't be right to tell you what age Becky was on Tuesday but there was a four and a two in it and maybe I'm getting old maybe I'm getting sentimental but I've found over the last few weeks and months I have started kind of reflecting on my life Maybe it's because of what's happened over the last 18 months with the pandemic and all of that. But I have found myself looking back on my life and particularly looking at pivotal key moments. Those moments, those interactions, those opportunities, those conversations, those decisions that at the time didn't seem particularly significant. 
but changed the direction and the course and the trajectory of my life. That those things at the time that that weren't a big deal or seemed so random that I wouldn't be where I am today without them. And you will have those as well in your own life. You will have conversations and events and decisions that have brought you to where you are right now. We don't think about them too much because here's the thing about those pivotal moments, those, those key trajectory moments. It's only as we look back that we realise how significant they were. In the moment we didn't realise how important they were going to be. In the moment we didn't understand the impact that they would have on our future. Those of you who are married, think about the first time you saw your husband or wife. Maybe think about your first date. What if that first time you met them, you hadn't met them? What if you'd been somewhere else that night? What if they hadn't been there? Some of you are like, uh, yeah, I, I think about that all the time. Don't do that. Don't smile. Don't indicate that. It will not go well for you. But imagine how different your life might be. Those of you who maybe moved to another town or city when you were younger. Imagine if your parents had stayed where you were. Imagine if you hadn't moved. How different would your life be now? What if you hadn't uh, studied the subjects at university or school that you studied? What if you'd went into a different line of work? How different your life might be right now? What if you hadn't bought the house you're in? What if you hadn't went to the school you went to? There's so many things that happened in your life that have brought you to where you are right now. What if we hadn't bought the dog that I didn't want? What if I had stuck to my guns and not succumbed or gave in to the immense pressure that you put me under? How different... My life would be right now and I'm not angry about it at all. But I know who you are. There are many moments that shape and mark and define and and bring a trajectory to our lives. But at the time they don't seem that significant. But it's only as we look back that we realise how important they were. I was uh, thinking about one of my favourite movies just the other day. We've started watching this because we're in lockdown or because we're in isolation. We've started going through a lot of old movies that Elijah might like. And uh, one of them is Back to the Future, where Marty McFly goes back to when his parents first met. The problem is that his mum falls in love with him at that stage and his job as he goes back in a time machine a DeLorean is to try and make sure his parents get together because he knows that if they don't he won't be born and everything will be different it's amazing how one small change somewhere in your history can change your destiny certain moments change everything and that's what we're going to see as we continue in the life of Jacob today, as we continue in this series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. We've seen that Jacob is a schemer and a scammer. He's a roughin' and a rogue. He's a manipulator and a liar. He's not a guy you would trust. He's not a guy you'd want to go for two weeks on holidays with. He's not a guy that you would I don't know. Let look after your money. You wouldn't want him as your accountant. If your daughter brought home Jacob, Jack the snake for Sunday dinner, you would not be a happy 
parent. You wouldn't let him look after your dog. Hmm. Or would you? Perhaps. Who knows? He's the sort of guy who will do whatever it takes. He will step on whoever he needs to step onto to get to where he wants to be. Even if it's his own family. We saw that he had a twin brother named Esau. Esau was born first, which meant he should have got the birthright and the blessing. But Jacob was determined to get it. He felt it was his. And over the last few weeks, I don't have time to go into it. You can watch the last few weeks. But Jacob manipulated and schemed and he got the birthright and he got the blessing. And he was helped by his mother because he was a bit of a a, a mommy's boy. The thing was, and I said this last week, and I think this is worth reiterating, that God had already promised Jacob his blessing. Even when he was in the womb, God had spoken to Rebekah, his mother, and said, Jacob will be blessed. But the problem was he hadn't said how and he hadn't said when. And when God doesn't give us the details, the problem is we feel sometimes we need to scheme, we need to manipulate, we need to force things. If the door doesn't open, we kick it open. And that's what they did. And just like them, when we don't trust God's ways and God's timing to fulfill God's word, we tend to end up in a right old mess. And that's what happens here. Jacob steals his blessing, his brother's blessing from his father. He pretends he's his brother. He dresses up as him. He puts on animal skin because Esau's hairy. And Esau then comes in and Esau finds out about it. And Esau is not happy at all. That's an understatement. Esau is furious. He's fuming. He's fit to be tied. And he swears in that moment that he is going to get vengeance, that he is going to get revenge, that he is going to kill Jacob for what he has done. And I would listen to Esau at that point because Esau was a tough guy. Remember, he was hairy. He was a hunter. He was a guy who liked the outdoors. He liked knives. He liked killing people. So this was a threat to be taken very seriously. And so Jacob has to go on the run. Look at what we read at the end of Genesis chapter 27. Rebecca, that's Jacob's mom. Verse 42. Sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Doing what she says hasn't got him anywhere good so far, let's just say. But anyway, flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back here. I think it's funny how Rebecca totally underestimates the seriousness of the situation. She says, Jacob, why don't you get offside for a while? Go stay with my brother Laban, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months. Esau will chill out, he'll forget about it. She even says, when he forgets about it, why don't you come back? I don't think this is something Esau is going to forget about anytime soon. I think she completely underestimates, as some people do, People can underestimate the hurt and the devastation that they cause people. They have no idea how their consequent or how their actions have consequences, how their behaviour towards people has impacted people's lives. 
I mean, she just basically thinks, yeah, Esau will get over it. I'll send you a text. You can say, I got a text and you can come back here. That is not how it's going to happen. Let's now move into chapter 28 of Genesis. Now, Jacob left Beersheba, that's his hometown, and set out for Haran. <coughs> Excuse me. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. So he leaves his hometown of Beersheba and he sets out for Haran, where his uncle Laban lives. This was a journey of 500 miles. I wonder as he walked, did he sing this song, I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to get away from my brother Esau who's going to kill me so I don't scheme any more. Actually, I don't think he was singing at all. I think he was terrified. Remember, Jacob was a mommy's boy. He was the guy who hung around the tents while his brother was out hunting. He had probably never left the village. He was timid. He was the sort of guy who didn't like trouble. He didn't like conflict. And he wanted just to stay at home. And here he is now on a journey on his own. Isolated, away from his family. And he had probably never been away in his life. And he's going to a place he's never been. And he actually he's going to end up spending 21 years on the run because of what he has done all because he schemed and scammed to get what he thought he wanted most Jacob is running for his life but he's also running from his life Jacob here is running for his life from his brother but he's also running from his life And what I mean by that is he's running from facing up to the consequences of the hurt and the pain and the heartache he has caused. Rather than confront what he has done and apologise and face up to what he has done and whatever consequences they may be, he runs away from them. Rather than take responsibility for his messes and mistakes, he runs from them. And we all do that sometimes, don't we? Rather than face up to what we've done, sometimes we run. Maybe not physically, but we run to people. We run to places. We run to substances. We run to justification. Well, they deserved it. They had it coming. Rationalisation. If they hadn't done that, I wouldn't do that. We run to blame. We run to self-pity. It's not my fault. It was because of the way I was brought up that I did that. We run when actually we should take responsibility. And if we would simply take responsibility for the things we do, our lives would be so much more simple at times. You know, somebody said to me once, just because you don't open the bills that come through your door doesn't mean that you don't have to pay them. (laughs) Just because you don't open the bills doesn't mean they go away. And some of us try to avoid facing reality thinking it'll go away. And yet the debt just mounts and we have to face it one day. And so Jacob runs and the scenery may change, but he stays the same. And whenever you run, the scenery, the the, the surroundings may change, but you stay the same. That's why I find... 
Some people running from job to job. Have you ever met people like that? They jump from job to job. Every three months, every six months, job to job. They jump from relationship to relationship. They move from place to place. They even jump from church to church. And when they arrive there, it's the best thing ever. It's what they've always wanted. They've found their home. And within three weeks or three months or six months, all of the same problems come to the surface. And it's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else is always to blame. And the reality is there's only one common denominator in all of this. And it's them. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever I go, I bring me with me. And I can blame lots of other people and circumstances and things and my past and all of that. But the reality is if I don't deal with some of the stuff going on in my own heart, I will carry it from place to place and relationship to relationship and church to church and job to job. And I will be miserable for the rest of my life. I will always be thinking that satisfaction and joy and fun and peace and all of that is found in the next place. And when I get there, I'll be just as disappointed as I was back there. Because I've never really dealt with the stuff going on in here. Jacob was running away. He thought he had got what he wanted. He thought he had won. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. He schemed to get it. He got everything he wanted, but once he got it, he realised that it wasn't worth having, that the cost was too high, that the price was too much to pay. That if you have to scheme and manipulate, if you have to pretend to be somebody you're not to get what you think God wants you to have, it's not from God and it's not worth having. I wondered that. At some stage at the part on the journey did he stop and think, I wish I hadn't done that. I wonder was there regret. I wonder was there genuine remorse. I wonder was there ever real repentance. You can get what you want. But when you get it the wrong way. Or if you get it in a way that means that you have to lie or deceive to get it. It's simply not worth having. And here's the thing. Actions have consequences. We live in a world of cause and effect. And actions have consequences. See, we can make our choices. You can make decisions whatever you want. But those decisions and those choices have consequences and very often you don't have a choice about those. And I think this is really important for us Christians for us to hear. Because there's this, almost this myth, I think, among young Christians today, that they can do whatever they want, they can behave however they want, and they can just say sorry to God and God will forgive their sin and all of the consequences will go away. Can I say to you, when you repent, God forgives your sin, but you still live with the consequences. God will remove your sin, but you will still have to deal with the consequences of your actions. And the consequences here for Jacob are so much more than he ever imagined. He goes on the run. He spends 21 years away. He lives with his uncle Laban. He falls in love with Laban's daughter Rachel. But Laban is also a trickster and a deceiver. It's amazing how it can run in families. 
Remember, this is his brother, is uh, Jacob's mum's brother. Jacob's mum also was a deceiver. These things tend to sometimes run in families. And he falls in love with his daughter Rachel and works for seven years to marry her. But on the wedding night, Laban does a bit of a switcheroo and puts in the other daughter, the older daughter, the one who the Bible would indicate isn't as attractive. And the next morning, Jacob is not a happy boy. That is a story I'm not going to delve into, but it might be worth reading. It is a uh, so so Jacob gets tricked, and then in the end, he gets tricked again, and he has to go on the run again. Actions have consequences. And when you sin against God and when you sin against other people and when you lie and manipulate and scheme to get what you want, it might seem like you've got what you want. But in the end, it's not worth having. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. When he reached a certain place, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun was setting. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. It says he reached a certain place. In other words, he didn't know where he was. He was in the middle of nowhere. He's in the back of beyond. He's in Ballygomuck. He's not at home and he's not in his destination yet. He's in trouble, he's in transition and he's tired. Because running will do that. Not just physical running, but running from your problems, running from the heartache you've caused, running from pain, running from broken relationships will exhaust you. And so he is tired. And so he stops to get some sleep. But look at what it says. He put a stone under his head to use as a pillow. You know, some of you, some of you can sleep anywhere, can't you? Anybody like that? Anybody who could nearly sleep standing up if you had to. I hold you in equal measure of awe and disdain, okay? I love you, but I can't stand you because I'm one of those people. Like, you're one of those people who probably, if I got onto a plane with you, before they even closed the doors, you would be fast asleep and you wouldn't wake up until you reached our destination. I can't do that. I'm one of the guys who tries to put my head on the on the table you know, the little table in front of me, I try to lean back in the chair, but then I feel bad because I'm looking at the people behind me and I can't sleep on a plane. Some of you can sleep anywhere. I need to be horizontal on a sofa or a comfortable bed <coughs> to sleep. Here, Jacob goes to sleep, but this is the most unusual bed I've seen because look at what it says. He uses a rock as a pillow. Now, let's talk about pillows for a second. We've talked about beds. Let's talk about pillows, okay? Like, we all have different preferences for pillows. Some of you like hard pillows. Some of you like soft pillows. Some of you like one pillow. Some of you like two pillows. I'm a two-pillow person. But I like the bottom one to be soft and the upper one to be hard. Some of you are a three-pillow person. That's why you walk funny and your neck has a crick, okay? But some of you, no matter how many pillows you sleep on, man, some of your wives... Every day cover your beds with pillows. Some of you have a shrine of pillows there. That are arranged perfectly every day. They are almost like a a 16 pillow sculpture. And every night they come off the bed and you sleep on two of them or maybe four of them. And every morning they come back on and it's about a 45 minute job. That's 45 minutes of your day that you're never going to get back again. 
What is it with all those pillows? Who is going to see them? I have seen people like that, that their beds are just covered with pillows. There's no need for all the pillows. Jacob here sleeps on a rock. That's his pillow. I don't know. Maybe, I was trying to figure that out. Maybe he puts his coat on it and lies on it. Maybe he's scared. He's in the middle of the wilderness. He's in the middle of nowhere. Maybe he wants to have a weapon beside him. If an animal or somebody attacks him, he can pick up the rock and hit them. I have no idea, but here's the imagery I see. Jacob's on the run. He's all alone. He's in the middle of nowhere and he lies on a rock. And to me, you know what that symbolises? He's in a hard place. He's in a really hard place. His head is in a hard place. It's a picture of someone who has lost everything. And he's brought it on himself. He's made his bed and now he can lie in it. He's caught between a rock and a hard place. He had it good at home. He was from a wealthy family. God had told him he would bless him. But because he wanted it in his way and in his time and through his efforts, he's made a mess of it all. And here he is now with no more plans, no more schemes, no one to manipulate, just him under the stars all alone. Or is he alone? Next verse is 12 to 15. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the east and the west, the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. So Jacob is sleeping on this rock and as he sleeps he has a dream and in the dream he sees the heavens open and there is a stairway or a ladder to heaven and on that ladder are angels ascending up to heaven and descending down to earth. In other words, Jacob gets a glimpse behind the supernatural realm. He gets to see what I keep telling you so often, that the physical, visible world and the invisible, spiritual world are not as separate as we think. That all around us there are angelic beings, good angels, body angels and we through our prayers and them through whatever they do influence what happens here on earth we are not just living in a physical world there is a spiritual realm all around us and it overlaps and it intertwines with the physical realm that we live in and then God appears to him in a dream you know we all dream every night apparently everyone has three to six dreams. Now some of us I know dream more than others. And some of us remember our dreams more than others. Apparently most dreams happen within a two hour period. It's called REM. Sleep or rapid eye movement. 
But most of the time we wake up and I don't know about you, but I don't remember my dreams. But I find it incredible that as we go through the Bible, one of the primary ways God communicates with his people is through dreams. God loves to speak to people while they are sleeping. There's prophetic dreams. There's predictive dreams. There's warning dreams. There's warring spiritual warfare dreams. Sometimes our dreams are simply us just processing. In fact, I would say most of the time that's what it is. It's simply us trying to process the stuff going on in our lives and make sense of it because we haven't been able to while we're conscious. But in case you haven't noticed it, there are a lot of dreams in the Bible. And I think one of the reasons God likes to speak through dreams is because it's the only time that we're quiet enough and still enough for him to be able to communicate. We're so busy and we're so noisy that it's only when we're lying with our head on a pillow that God actually has the ability to communicate with us. You know, I've only had a a handful of prophetic dreams that I know of in my life. I've only had a few of them. And the way I tend to know that it's a prophetic dream is this. I immediately wake up afterwards and I go, there was something different about that dream. There was something, it wasn't your run-of-the-mill dream. And I try to record it. Sometimes I don't record it and I think I'll remember it the next morning and then I forget it. Can I encourage you, if you have one of those dreams, write it down. Write it down immediately. Get up, have a jotter beside your bed and write it down because you will not forget the next day. Jacob has a dream and God speaks to him. And God makes promises to him. And the promises that God makes to him are incredibly similar to the promises God made to his grandfather Abraham many years before. First of all, God says, he introduces himself, he says, I am the Lord. The word Lord is Yahweh. This is the first time God introduces himself by his name. He says, I am the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. Then he says, I am the God of your grandfather and your father. And then he promises Jacob the same things as he promised Abraham. Land, descendants and blessing. He promises him much land. He promises him that he will have offspring and descendants and children and grandchildren that are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And he promises to bless him and prosper him. And I am going to bless you and you will be a blessing. In other words, everything that you have ever wanted and everything that you have tried to get through your own manipulation and scheming and scamming, I am going to give it to you. Not because you're good, but because of my grace. Everything that you've worked for, everything that you've destroyed relationships for, it is going to be given to you by grace, simply because of my goodness. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. But I will give it to you. Jacob here isn't even even seeking God. He wasn't having a prayer meeting. He wasn't in the temple. He wasn't playing worship music. He was a rogue on the run catching some sleep. 
And God encounters him and says, everything that you need and long for, I'm going to give you by grace. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. That in religion we try to work. We slave. We try to earn God's favour. If I can just do this, this, this and this, God will be pleased with me. And God says, no, I'm coming down to you and everything you've ever needed, I am going to give to you, not because of your goodness or your righteousness, but simply because of my grace. My forgiveness is by grace. Heaven is by grace. My Holy Spirit is by grace. Everything in the kingdom of God, because of the gospel, comes by grace grace. Jacob didn't even know where he was but God knew exactly where to find him. And I want to say to you today God knows where you are. God knows exactly where to find you and I don't mean just even physically. God knows where you are emotionally. God knows where you are relationally. God knows where you are in your health, in your job, in your family. And God meets Jacob in his lowest place, when he's nothing left. God meets Jacob in his most desperate moment, when he's got nothing to offer. And what I have found again and again is sometimes, (coughs) excuse me, it takes us to get to that lowest place before we realise our need for God. Sometimes we will get to the place in our lives that's lowest where we're not even sure if we can hold on any longer and it's in that place that we encounter God. Sometimes all of our plans and dreams and schemes and hopes have to fall apart for God to step in and make us realise that all of those things were shallow and empty and hollow and not worth pursuing. God meets us in the middle of our distress and our despair and our destitution and our disappointment and our discomfort and our depression. And he brings healing and he brings love and he brings grace and he brings provision. Maybe God has met you in a low place. I have been in some low places in my life and I have found the presence of God there. At times when I wasn't even sure if I could hold on myself, God has met me there with his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his provision. Maybe he's done that for you. Maybe through the death of a loved one. Maybe through losing a job. Maybe through a broken relationship. Maybe going through a divorce. Maybe in an illness. Maybe you've been in hospital. I have had many people, particularly men, men of a certain, maybe men in their 60s, who have visited in hospital over the years and they've been lying on their backs for weeks. And they've said something like this to me. I have encountered God more in this hospital room than I have in my life because I've been so busy with work and trying to do my own thing and God has put me on my back and the only way I can look is up. God meets us in those low, broken, desperate, desolate places and he comes not with judgment or anger 
But he comes with grace. He comes with mercy. He comes with love. And he comes with promises of a better future. You know, sometimes people say to me, I found God or I found Jesus or I found the Lord. Can I say to you, I didn't find God. I wasn't even looking for God. God wasn't lost. God found me. On the 1st of July 1990 as a teenager, I did not go to summer madness looking for God. I was looking for girls. I was looking for trouble. And in the midst of that, God ambushed me. And that was the most defining moment of my life. I wasn't looking for God. He wasn't lost. God in his grace and his mercy and his kindness came searching for me. And my life has never been the same again. Because when you have a personal encounter with the living God, nothing is ever the same again. And that's what we're going to see in Jacob's life as we finish up now. Let's read verses 16 to 22. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, not the church in California, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household. (coughs) Excuse me. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. (laughs) I'm not even going to get into this. But this is before the law. And Jacob instinctively knows that whatever God gives us, our obligation is to give him 10% a tithe back. But that's another sermon for another day. But as soon as Jacob wakes up, He realises he has met with God. He says, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it. I wonder as you look back on your life, can you think of places and situations that you have been in and it seemed like God wasn't there. But now as you look back, you say God was in that place and I was not aware of it. All I could see was chaos and destruction and hurt and pain and tears and brokenness. But surely the Lord was in that place. Surely God met me in that place. In the middle of nowhere where he thought he was all alone. In his brokenness and barrenness. In his loneliness and isolation. It becomes a place of encounter with The living God. It becomes a habitation of the Most High. And Jacob makes a vow to God. He makes a vow. He excuse me. He takes his pillow and he turns it into a pillar. And that pillar becomes an altar. He pours oil over it, which in the New Testament or the Old Testament symbolizes the presence of God, the sacredness of God, the Holy Spirit. He takes 
what he has which isn't very much and he gives it to God as an offering of worship. And look at what he says in verse 21. This is beautiful. He calls him. He says the Lord will be my God. The Lord will be my God. Remember back last week when he was trying to scheme his father. What did he say to his dad? The Lord your God. In other words God was Isaac's God but he had never become Jacob's God at that stage. But here God moves from not just being the God of his father and his mother (coughs) and his grandparents. God becomes his God because he has had his own personal encounter with the living God. And that's what we all need. It's wonderful if you've been brought up in a Christian home. It's wonderful if you are Christians and your parents are being, or your kids are being brought up in a Christian home. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to pray with them and teach them about Jesus. But can I say to you that they need to have their own personal encounter with the living God. God has no grandchildren. Second-hand cars are great. Second-hand clothes are okay. But a second-hand faith will not suffice to get you through this life or to bring you into eternal life. You need to have your own personal encounter with the risen, living Jesus. People can introduce you to him, but they can't have a relationship with him for you. Just as people could introduce you to your husband or wife, but they can't marry them for you. People can tell you about Jesus, but it's up to you to take the step and invite Christ into your life. And the great news is that like Jacob, God will meet us where we are. We don't have to have it all together. Jacob was far from perfect. We don't have to dress the right way or talk the right way God will meet us where we are and he will reveal himself to us and he will bring us into an encounter with him but here's what the key is it's how we respond to that that matters you see Jacob could have had this dream this encounter with God and went on his way but no he turned the encounter into a place of worship and his life was never the same again from this point forward his life would never be the same again his life wasn't perfect he had ups and downs he had drama he had troubles he had battles he had blessings he had burdens but from this point forward the presence of God was with him and everything changed because of an encounter with God and this rogue this rascal, this liar, this schemer, this manipulator, this scammer becomes one of the great patriarchs of the nation of Israel. He has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. You may have heard of one of them, Joseph. Joseph, da 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 da. Issachar, Levi, Dan, Asher, opened a bakery in Belfast. This guy, Jacob. The schemer becomes one of the greatest figures in the Bible. He becomes a friend of God. Why? 
because God reveals himself to him and he responds with faith and trust and decides from that moment onwards he is going to follow the living God. And God from then on calls himself what? The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I don't know what kind of start you had in life. Some people have a better start than others. But you know what I've found? It's not where you start. It's where you end up. And that's down to you. You see, you have no choice about where you started in life, but you do have a choice about where you end up. And if our lives were a book, we all have sentences and we all have paragraphs and we all have chapters that we wish we could undo. We all have things we've done in our life that we wish that we regret and that if we could have a do-over, we wouldn't do them. We have people, we have hurt promises, we have broken lies, we have told. But here's the thing. When God intervenes, when God steps into your situation, he takes those shameful sentences. He takes those promiscuous paragraphs. And he takes those cheating chapters And he begins to write a new story. He begins to script a different story. And it's a beautiful story of glory. It's a beautiful story with his fingerprints all over it. And the way you finish does not have to be the way you began. Because when you have an encounter with the living God, it changes absolutely everything. And I want to pray now. I think some of us need a fresh encounter with God. I think you need a fresh encounter with God. I need a fresh encounter with God. I need to meet the living God afresh. Maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've only been a Christian a little while. Here's the thing. We need a fresh encounter with God. And I believe today God wants to meet with you. I believe today God wants to touch you. I believe today no matter what your life is like, no matter what's going on, no matter how messy things might be or good things might be, God wants to come right now and he wants to meet with you by his Holy Spirit, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching or listening online. I'm going to pray now that this week, that this week you would have a fresh encounter with God. Father God, I pray right now for every person listening to my voice, including myself, that in these days coming, we would meet you afresh. That we wouldn't rely on yesterday's bread or an experience or an encounter from 10, 15, 20 years ago or a prayer we prayed at a mission 30 years ago. But today, this week, we would have a fresh encounter with the living, risen Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would come afresh and make him so, so, so real to us. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill us afresh. Come and point us to Jesus. And if you're listening to this or if you're watching this and you've never received Jesus as your saviour, simply say this, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I repent. I turn to you. From this day forward, I choose to live for you.
Amen.